The story of the incarnation of Jesus is an amazing story. I, I try and make a conscious effort when I'm talking about events that are described in the Bible. I try and make a conscious effort not to call them stories. Because sometimes that can kind of give the impression uh, that these are myths or legends uh, that, have, that have grown up with the church. Um, so instead, I try and use words, account, uh, the narrative of, uh, the, re- re- the record of this event. Um, <laughs> but the incarnation of Jesus is just such a, a, a beautiful tale. There are rich images throughout every different account that we have through Scripture. Um, it, is, it is a story full of, uh, of conflict, of, of the good guys and the bad guys. It has uh, uh, struggles, human struggle, going through difficulties and hardship. It, it is, shows the, 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 the beauty of, of the intervention of God, the divine in our, in our world. Uh, it is a beautiful story. And I guess sometimes that might be even part of the reason why there are those that try and suggest that, that it is just some kind of a tale, a fictitious recreation of, of events that the Gospel writers included in their, in their stories just to try and, and give a, 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 a fuller picture of, of the divinity, to try and convince people that Jesus was divine by somehow showing how His beginning is such a a legendary event. And yet, this is a true and accurate telling of the events that took place that, that brought Jesus into our world. Brought Jesus into our existence, our human existence and it is a reflection the fact that our God (laughs) he is a storyteller our lives our our human history it's it's a reflection of the creativity that he has, the, the love that he has for rich images, for, for ideas that go beyond just our, our human existence, that, that tell of his wonderful intervention in our lives. And so, this Advent season, I thought it would be good for us to spend some time um, just soaking ourselves in some of those images, those um, uh, those pictures that we have of the the incarnation of Jesus, that we would have an opportunity to uh, to to understand the the richness of the story that God is is weaving here on our behalf. So over the next little while, we are going to be looking at 
as I said, the, the star. We're going to be talking about the angels. We're going to be talking about uh, the, the full in. We're going to be talking about uh, the manger and then the gifts. And each one of those will give us an opportunity of exploring how God in His uh, uh, creativity included these images and, and how we can use them then in our own lives to, to better understand who He is and how He wants us to live in relationship with Him. One of those images is the Bethlehem star. And Paul read the account there for us in, in Matthew chapter 2 of how uh, these men who were in the east saw a star and recognized it as His star. The King of the Jews had been born. And how these men made this uh, uh, epic journey without really knowing the destination but packed up all of they had and, 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 and gathered together gifts that they would offer to this king who had been born. How they journeyed through uh, whatever uh, struggles that there was through the wilderness of, of the, the de deserts, through the, the lushness of the forests, coming to finally into Jerusalem. And asking, fully anticipating that there would be many others that would have come to celebrate this wonderful event of the King of the Jews. And as they got there and started asking people, where is He that was born King of the Jews that we would come and worship Him? And nobody, nobody knew anything. And the more that they asked, the more that they inquired of the people that were there how they could have missed this event. News gets to Herod. The king of the Jews. <laughs> who should know if there is a new king who was born? And so with great turmoil in his own heart, he invites these foreign men to come. And they ask him, where is this king that was born and the 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 biblical scholars those those royal smart people whose job it is to know the scriptures uh, you have to get the irony of this that that here these foreign men who had been watching the stars anticipating the coming of the King of the Jews, when they saw it, recognized it, came to Jerusalem, came to the center of Jewish life, uh, 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 to the very place where the temple to God is located, to ask the people where... And these people who had spent their lives, generations, thousands of years, steeped in understanding what is in the Scriptures, and they had totally missed the coming of their Messiah. But they're able to search the Scriptures. 
They know that the promise is that in Bethlehem, God would be sending His Messiah. And that's where the king would be born. And so Herod tells the wise men, with all of the syrupy goodness that he could muster, that, oh, please, go and find this one and then come and tell me so that I may, with fingers crossed behind his back, come and worship him too. And so they go. And as they are traveling to Bethlehem, suddenly the star once again appears and guides them to Bethlehem, guides them to the place where the child is. And there they worship Him. They, they recognize who He is. And bring gifts that reflect the nature of who this little one is and what His life will become. Bringing, I'm not going to get into the gifts because that takes away from the other servants. So we're just going to leave it there. You have to come back. But they bring these gifts, lay them before the child and worship him. And then in a dream are told uh, that, that Herod has nefarious ideas in mind. And so instead of going back through Jerusalem, they go out of their way to travel back home in order to do what they can to protect this child, this King of the Jews. <laughs> you just can't write this stuff. This is amazing story. Beautiful picture. How did they know that this was His star. I mean, there's a lot of stars. Last night we were out at Tyson's for Youth and it is so nice to get away from all of the light pollution of town and be able to see the stars. And for a little while it was beautifully clear and, and, and in all of their glory, there they were shining up above us. Um, how did you they recognize that 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 there was somehow a new star in all of that mix. And how did they know that this was His star that would give them such confidence that they would pack up and make this incredible journey to Jerusalem and with confidence be asking, where is the One who was born King of the Jews? To continue to ask. You got, you got to think that after they first asked a few people and got no response, that suddenly they were like, uh, maybe we should keep our mouths shut because in any royal court, the birth of a king would be a big deal. And if, if there was a new king that was born and nobody knew about it, uh, that's a risky thing to be asking about where this one would be born. Uh, but they continued to ask. They continued to persevere. How did they know? Well, I stand before you here today and I can't give you a really good answer because it's not recorded in Scripture. 
doesn't tell us how they know, but we can surmise, we can suppose what some of these things are because we do know that Scripture gives us some hints from the Old Testament. And likely, the biggest impact on these men from the East was that they were magi. They were magicians. They were part of a, a, an order of individuals that had for years, hundreds of years, perhaps maybe even more than a thousand years, been learning about the stars, been seeking out wisdom and understanding within this world, and into their mix, Daniel came. Back when the people of Israel were conquered by Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar took all of the, 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 the promising young people out of Jerusalem and took them to Babylon, and, and there trained them up to become officials within his government. And, and that that one individual that stood out amongst all of the others, so that at one point, he became third most prominent in all of the kingdom. And then he continued on, and, and in that role, we see that he was made chief over the magicians. If we look, to, turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter 5. It is worth looking at all of these different things that, that are there for us. Daniel chapter 5. This is uh, the account of of King Belshazzar's uh, great feast that he had when suddenly there was this hand of God that came down into the hall and wrote in the wall uh, the words that nobody could understand. And, and it was the king's grandmother. In verse 11, we read about the king's grandmother who said said to, to, uh, uh, to her grandson, it said, verse 10, the queen, because of the words of the kings and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the Spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in Him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers because of an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems that were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. So this group of 
wise men from the east, from the Babylonian um, location. And, and Babylon at this point was a, a huge empire. And they had gathered, just as they had gathered these young promising men from Jerusalem, they had also gathered promising young men from all of the other nations that they had conquered and brought them all together. That was their their strategy for assimilating these conquered nations was to take their people and put them into positions, train them up and put them into positions of leadership so that then they would be able to translate the, the laws and the society, the culture of Babylon into these new nations, in these conquered nations. And so there were wise men from all over the kingdom of Babylon, all of the empire of Babylon that were brought together and were there to to advise the king. And Daniel was made chief of all of those. And he had the opportunity to over the course of the rest of his life influence the study, the the thought processes, the information that all of these magi had. And it wasn't just for a short time. If we continue on in in Daniel and turn to Daniel chapter 3, this is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. This is, of course, after the Babylonians have been conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And here we read about King Darius. King Darius was equally impressed with Daniel. And so in verse 28, we read, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and during the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel was chief of the magicians and the wise men in Babylon right from the time of Nebuchadnezzar all the way through the remaining days of the Babylonian Empire into the new empire of the Medes and the Persians, beyond just when the Medes were more in charge and suddenly when the Persians then took over. Sorry, flip that around. When, when the Persians were in charge and the Medes then kind of took over and, and, uh, and were the, the, the more prominent of the two with King Cyrus, all through that whole period, Daniel was prospering and had an opportunity of influencing this group of people. Fast forward to the time of Jesus. And these men, these wise men, these magi that came were under the influence, the continuing influence of Daniel's teaching and his instruction and his prophecies that talked about a coming Messiah. And they were able to deduce from Daniel's prophecy that we read about in uh, Daniel chapter 7. Make sure I get the right verse. Hopefully I wrote that verse down. Sorry, Daniel chapter 9. <laughs> Daniel chapter 9 in uh, the prophecy of the 70 weeks. If we read in verse 24 and 25, it says, "...there seventy weeks are decreed about your people and about your holy city to finish the transgression, to put to end 
put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Therefore, no one understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be 70 weeks. And it goes on to, to talk more. And, and it was the understanding that those weeks referred to years. And so they were able to then understand that this related to um, uh, 70 times 7 weeks, which ends up 483 years after Cyrus allowed the people of Israel to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, that it would be at that point, those 483 years would pass, and then God would send His anointed one. And so these magi, under Daniel's influence, were looking, they were ready for this King of the Jews to be born. How did they know that it would be a star? Well, you got to go back even further. How many of you remember the name Balaam? From Numbers chapter 24. Balaam was not a good guy. And yet God used him to prophesy the coming of a Savior and that his, his coming would be signaled by a star in heaven. Turn to Numbers chapter 24 with me. So you remember this is the story of how the children of Israel, they had come out of Egypt. Moses led them out through the sea. They established themselves there at Mount Sinai. They created all of God. God guided them in creating all of the religious structure and social structure. They then went out, came to the edge of the promised land, and were scared by the giants. And so then God made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation had perished. And they once again came to the edge of the promised land. And as they were traveling northward, they kept on coming past some family property. First, they came upon the Amalekites, who were the descendants of um, of Esau, no of Ishmael. Um, Ishmael, they attacked them. It was a terrible thing, and and the people of Israel were able to stand up against them and defeat them. They then came to the Midianites. The Midianites being the descendants of Lot and asked if they could travel through their land to get to the promise, to the land that God had promised them. And the Midianites said, no, 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 you can't do that because they were afraid that they would take them over. And so they traveled around the Midianites and came to Moab, the other descendants of Lot. And again, asked if they could go through. They said, no, 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 we're afraid that you're going to to, to attack us. And, and because of that, because they were on the shores or the borders of the Moabites, the king of Moab went, the king of Moab, his name was Balak, came and asked Balaam. Balaam was this religious man. We don't know very much about him. But he was a man to whom you could go and hear from God. Where that came from, 
We don't know all of that much about him. But anyway, they came and asked if, if Balaam could come and curse the people of God. And God said, no way, they're my people. And Balaam said, sorry, I can't do it because God won't let me. Well, how about if we give you a whole bunch of money? Let me go check again. <laughs> Eventually, God gave him permission, but said that you will only be able to speak the words that I tell you to speak. And so he came up onto this huge plateau with the king of Moab right beside him. And, and below them on the plain were all of these multitudes of, of people of Israel, this, this family that had, had spawned into this huge nation. And as he stood there up on this plateau, all he could speak was blessing. And Balak said, oh, that's not what I paid you for. Balak said, I'm sorry, I can, only tell what God's, I can only say what God told me to say. He said, I know what we do. Balak says, let's come off this mountain, let's go up over here. Maybe from this angle, God will let you curse them. And so Balaam opens his mouth and again curses. Balak says, hmm, how about over in this location? How about you come up here? And once again, nothing but, um, but blessing. And then we come to chapter 24 and what verses should we read? Let's start, let's start at 15, sure, and we'll keep on going all the way through. So this is Balaam's final attempt at cursing, but all that comes out is blessing. He took up this discourse. This is the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all of the sons of Sheth. And it goes on to talk about how Jacob will exercise dominion over all the other nations. Thus says the Lord. And so it is out of this attempt at cursing that God then places this promise that it will be a star that will signal the coming of the King of the Jews, this anointed one, through whom God would destroy righteousness, uh, destroy wickedness, and establish righteousness forever. There is an ancient tradition that says that Balaam was the founder of the Magi. That from this place he continued on his study and, and, and understand and, and pulled together a group of people that ultimately ended up to be the very same people that Daniel was chief over. And so his blessings and his words that he spoke over Israel would have been a tradition that was passed on through all of those thousands, hundreds, thousand years until the time of Daniel. And then Daniel was able to take the promises, the prophecy that God had given him and put into context the exact time of when this star would rise. 
and to, to inculcate that into the very essence of who these magi were so that they would be looking. They had spent their lives knowing God. We have to remember there still were a, a large number of Jewish people that lived in Babylon beyond the return and rebuilding of Jerusalem. The story of Esther is beyond the time when people returned back to Jerusalem. Daniel never came back to Jerusalem. He was still alive when Cyrus became king and when Cyrus sent the people back. But Daniel stayed there and remained and was an advisor. And so there were still many Jews. Probably there was only a fraction that actually left in the first place. Many of them still stayed there, and, and there is great tradition of uh, the Jewish writings that were there in Babylon. The Babylonian Talmud was part of the, their interpretation, the, the rabbinical writings on the Old Testament. So it's not un inconceivable that there were also Jewish people that were part of the Magi, or at least had influence and had, had words to be speaking uh, into these people's lives and brought them to the place where they when they saw the star, recognized it as His star. So they were able to come. Now what was that star? This star doesn't do things like normal stars do. You've seen stars. I don't know if you've ever tried following stars. Um, but it seems like the more that you walk towards the stars, it's really difficult to, to know which star, which place those stars are pointing to. We've got the North Star, which at least stays in one place, and you know which way north is, but all that does is give you direction. It doesn't give you point-positive kind of location. And, and, and in this story here in Matthew, it, it talks about especially... Uh, when when they left Jerusalem, and uh, verse 9 of chapter 2 in Matthew, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest where the child was. It seems to indicate, now there are those who would argue otherwise, but it seems to indicate that this star was moving. More than just moving because the earth was moving, just like all normal stars do. But this star was actually going in a different direction because it not only went before them, which indicates motion, but it also came to rest over the place, which means the stopping of motion. I don't know very many stars that do that. And some people have speculated perhaps it was a comet. I've seen comets. They're just as difficult to try and locate a place on earth if you're following a comet as it is any other kind of star. And this was a unique event. This isn't an event that, that repeats itself every hundred plus years, whatever comets do. This was a one time, this was his star. And they recognized it as such. So there are those that would speculate that, that the star was actually a supernova. 
supernova being uh, an explosion of a, of a star, when the star comes to the end of its life, where it goes into this huge, brilliant burst of energy that lasts for months and then disappears into a new nebula that then eventually creates a new star and all that kind of stuff. And it is interesting that in both Korean and Chinese ancient history, they both have an indication of a star that happened on the, the fourth a, the fourth year after A.D. They've been able to, to work out and, and coordinate these different calendars that there was a supernova. There was a what the Chinese and the Koreans saw was a new star that burst brilliantly into view right around the same time when Jesus would have been born. So it could have been this supernova. But again, I have a hard time seeing a supernova come to rest over top of a house. And how you would know that that is the place by something way up in the sky because as soon as you go over here, oh, no, it's this. Oh, oh no. As soon as you move, it's in a, pointing to a different spot. And again, there are some that speculate one way that you could figure out is if you saw the star and you looked down a well, and if you could see the reflection of the star in the well, that means that that is right above that point. And so that's how the Magi would have known that that was the place because they went around all the neighborhood of Bethlehem and looked in everybody's wells until they could see that one star. The only problem with that is not everybody in Bethlehem has a well. Some of you have been to Bethlehem. Not every house has a well. Um, probably more likely there was one well or a couple of wells within the whole city. Um, and even then, I, yeah, I, I don't know. To me, it sounds... But what we have here is a miraculous event. Something that God had ordained, something that God had completed that was a special time to uniquely indicate that the king of the Jews had been born. And where it was that they would be able to find him. What do we do with that in our own lives today? I think one of the things, one of the lessons that we learn from this is that the Magi we're looking for God. Contrast that to the people of Jerusalem. Totally missed all of the proof and evidence that there was within this book that they had studied so diligently and had totally missed the fact that the King of the Jews would be announced by a star after a certain period of time after they had gone to rebuild. These people who were so committed to looking for the Messiah, to waiting for the Messiah, to calling and asking God for the Messiah, totally missed all that God had for them in the event of when the Messiah actually was born. But these foreigners, under the influence likely of Daniel and, and the prophecies thereof, 
we're looking and waiting and ready for when this star would appear. And we're so absolutely convinced that this was the event that they then packed up everything that they had and went to go and worship this king. I absolutely believe that this Christmas, God has something for each and every one of us. As much as so much of our society gets so caught up in the materialistic part of Christmas. God wants to come into your life in a unique and special way this Christmas season. He wants to reveal something about Himself that you have never experienced in the same way. The question is, the, the effectiveness of that will be, are you like the people of Israel who were oblivious, who missed all that God had? Or are you like the Magi who are looking, who are expecting, who are ready so that as soon as God reveals Himself to you, you'll be ready to obey. You'll be ready to follow wherever it is that He would take you. You will immerse yourself in that experience to give all that you have to be able to take it into that place where God would use you in a powerful, significant way this Christmas. Are you ready? Are you waiting? Because I know this. God will come and guide you. You see, the Magi didn't know, well, this is the right time, so let's just go. They waited for God's star. And it was the star that led them to Jesus. And it will be God's Spirit that will lead you into that unique, special place of experiencing God this Christmas. So are you listening for Him to speak? Are you spending time in His Word anticipating that He will use these pages to accomplish His purposes and plans in your life? Are you immersing yourself in fellowship with other believers and not just to talk about what happened at the Grey Cup last Sunday, but to, to talk about how God is moving in your lives, to, to talk about the struggles that you're feeling, the, 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 the heartache that you have, the joys that you're experiencing, the ways that God has led you and listen to how God has led in other people's lives. Are you spending time in prayer? Speaking and waiting and listening for God to move in your heart and in your life. If you are engaged in those activities, preparing your heart, 
You'll be ready to hear when God's star, His Spirit comes into your life and moves you this Christmas. I know there are there are struggles that we are facing. Uh, and I know some of your stories. Some of the specifics of the struggles that you are going through uh, this time of, li- of life in this particular season. For some of you, there are uh, significant relationship breakdown that's going on in your life. For others, there are financial struggles that you are facing and you're not sure where the next income is going to be coming from. There are some of you that are facing serious questions about whether God is who He says He is and whether you are ready to follow in Him no matter where He might take you. wherever it is that you are at this season, know that God has a special gift for you this year, this Christmas season. And as you are ready, waiting, anticipating, that He will send His Spirit and He will lead you and guide you through this Christmas season in a unique way, that will accomplish His healing and His work and His power in your life so that you can then on the other side give praise and honor to Him and become a witness and a testimony for now and all of eternity of the great gift that God has given you this year. Let's pray together. Lord, we are ready. We are ready for You to move in our hearts. We are ready for You to come and transform our relationships. We are ready for You to to guide us to the next step of how You can uh, use us and, and use our gifts to supply the needs for us and for our families. We are ready for a new taste of the depths of Your love and Your grace in our lives. Would You send Your Spirit to us in this Advent season, in this coming Christmas, Would You draw us into a place of knowing Your voice, hearing Your speaking in our lives, and transforming our hearts. Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your infinite grace that covers all of our sins. 
that gives us new life, that gives us hope for heaven, and leads and guides us each and every day, every step of the way. We thank You for Your love. And we pray that this Christmas, we would be ready for Your Spirit's work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.